All right, here we go. Episode one, um, no theme music. So let me, uh, launch garage band here. Ooh, I like that. And five minutes later, we have a placeholder theme song. Okay, that's not very good, but that's fine because I just need to get this podcast started. So hello and welcome to episode number one. This show is still on an unknown path, but I do know what I want to talk about at this moment because what's been going on for me lately has been a lot of focus on the iPhone X. Um, It came out. I've been working on a YouTube review for it. And my iPhone 8 video went really well. I mean, I've had a YouTube channel for a long time. Uh, That was the first one to really... uh, get big fast. So, um, you know, a few, a few hundred thousand views in a couple of weeks, which is really exciting and great and, um, makes me feel like I, it's worth focusing on YouTube more. So I'm going to put even more effort into this iPhone 10 review. I've had the phone for a few weeks at this point, but I'm taking my time to film it. And, and also even just to, to write my review to kind of come up with all the ideas because, I want to say something original. I want to not cover the same ground as all the other very qualified reviewers out there already have. Um, everybody knows the specs on this phone. Everybody knows it's the 10th anniversary and it's a big change for everyone. But I think there's more to say about this if I can just spend the time getting ready to say it. One of the ideas I, I had for this show is to make it a bit of a companion to the YouTube channel as well, so that I get time to really dive deeper into topics that I'm talking about on the YouTube channel. This can serve as a bit of a peek behind the curtain or a, a, maybe a director's commentary on what I'm putting out on YouTube, because the way the YouTube format works means that you really need to optimize for time. Um, this This is a lot of the reason I honestly prefer podcasts personally. I spend way more time listening to podcasts than watching YouTube videos because I feel like you need that time to really, um, I don't know, understand a topic, to let the idea develop and let the person who's trying to communicate with you get all of their thoughts out. And honestly, YouTube aims for, what, five, 10-minute videos and a five or 10 minute podcast is nothing. That's usually, that's usually just the theme music and an introduction. Uh, but um, here we can really spend a lot more time getting to know the, the deeper points about whatever it is that I've talked about really briefly over there. But YouTube is great for reaching a much broader audience. A, a downside of podcasting, of course, is that it's a little more insulated, like people need to discover it. And there's a lot less gateways to get into podcasts. I mean, you, uh, iTunes still controls it uh, to a large extent. Um, thankfully, Apple's stayed kind of hands off with it. They select some of the best ones and put them on the front page, but more or less, they haven't forced their hand uh, as far as you know, making it something like YouTube, where as a large company, they're sort of dictating what succeeds and what doesn't. So podcasts are still this great open format that anybody can do anything they want. And success is kind of more in the content creator's control, but it's harder to reach that really broad audience. Um, You don't have that benefit that YouTube does where people are just searching for that term. So everybody searching for iPhone 10, iPhone X is going to find 
this video. Well, some percentage of them will find my video. Um, so it's, it's a really great way to get to a huge amount of people, but I can't get a very um, refined message out there. So for anybody who found anything I posted on there, especially interesting, this is a chance for us to get a little bit closer and get to know each other better and, and just dive way deeper into the topic. I can cover so much more in this extended format. Another thing about YouTube is that I really believe that you should be optimizing for the medium you're creating. So when it's videos, I I do think there needs to be some interesting visual content there. I experimented a little bit a while ago with doing um, sort of just talking head YouTube videos where I'm really just um, talking to the camera sitting behind a desk, just going over my general thoughts, but without really... I don't know, uh, shooting any B-roll or showing the product that I'm talking about a lot. And uh, it wasn't very satisfying. I I mean, for me or for the viewers, like not a lot of people watched it. Um, I don't love that content because, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're watching it for a reason. Some people do post full podcasts on YouTube and that's fine. I, I think often it's because there's a lot of people that YouTube is just the way that they absorb all their content, not just video content. So um, I'll leave a uh, like window playing in the background with whatever podcast it is and the visuals aren't so important. Um, I don't interact with YouTube that way. I spend my time listening to podcasts in the app Overcast, um, which honestly, I really, really love Overcast. It's one of the main apps that keeps me on iOS. Uh, like when I am using my Android, it's something I miss a lot. I'll even use the overcast web app instead of using native uh, podcast apps on Android. Cause it just, just, the way that it works is great. It has really great. Um, what do you call it? <laughs> uh, silence removal, which would be very helpful in that last moment so that when there's extended pauses between people talking, it just kind of takes it out seamlessly and you really don't notice it. It also has what I think is the best speed adjustments. So if you're listening to a show at 1.25 or 1.5 speed, you can still really understand what people are saying and it doesn't distort the audio too much. The built-in iOS signal processing for this, the the way they do audio processing and so what the podcast app uses, what the Audible app uses, um, unfortunately really does a pretty poor job of these faster speeds and it just sounds like that chipmunky thing. Um, I mean, it's not changing the tone, it's trying to keep it at the same place, but you can hear the removal without any sort of smoothing. Uh, I don't, I don't understand what's actually happening here. Anyway, ask, ask Marco Arment about it, but overcast is a great job. And because of that, I can listen to shows a little bit faster. Um, and, uh, you know what? I honestly think you should be listening to this show a little bit faster. If you're listening at one time speed, try 1.25. Cause you know, I'm thinking kind of slow. I, I, I don't think you should need to wait for me to figure out my ideas. Um, sometimes I'm more articulate. If you, take away the spaces. So go ahead, crank up the speed. I I won't be offended. Anyway, what I'm here to talk about, like I said, is the iPhone 10 and I'm kind of mid review right now. So uh, I don't want to go over all of the points I've gathered yet. I just want to start talking about the phone a bit. I want to start exploring some of my ideas for myself so I can kind of walk through them and figure them out and just start sharing them with you guys because it's also going to be quite a while before I finish this video. So one of the things I'm doing to make this video a little more special than anything I've done before is I'm working with a really talented friend 
who uh, both knows a lot about technology and about filmmaking and storytelling. His name is Chris Dowsett. When we got to know each other, it's because we were both doing photography, but now he's really expanded into a wider world of more serious filmmaking. Uh, He does visual effects stuff. He reads a lot of the same books and listens to the same podcast that I do. So a lot of the time we have common ground to cover. Anyway, let's head over to Chris's studio and see what he thinks. Hey, Chris, we're at your place. Welcome. Welcome to the show. We are at my place. Uh, I guess it's the house in which we're going to do some of the work that we're going to do. Some some uh, visual effects, some playing around. Um, it's whatever help I can give to this thing that you're doing. This, yeah, and this podcast and this YouTube channel. I don't know channel. if we can explain the, the um, visual effects, that, how well we can explain them on here. But uh, might as well try to explain what we're going to try to do or why we're going to do it. Uh, you, so you don't have the iPhone 10 at the moment. So I'd kind of just jumped on you and was like, let's talk about this because you're helping me with the video. But, um, you know, I, I don't really care what we end up talking about in this moment. Um, but yeah, that it's a bit of a preamble to this video that I'm going to make. And, um, also that this, I mean, this is the first, this is the first episode of this show. So you're the first person to appear on it. Yeah. And that is a special feeling. Uh, I have been on cameras or whatever a couple of times, but knowing that you and I have such a relationship that our conversations can never seem to find the focus for how broad scoped our brain really is sometimes. <laughs> well, yeah. So, I mean, this is, this is why I like a good fit for the first person is that part of the point of the show is I want it to be able to wander pretty far. I don't want it to feel really constrained to only talk about one thing. So my, my hope is that there's people out there that have a somewhat similar list of interests to you and I that visit this sort of same blogs and read the same books and, you know, you know, like just kind of get to the same things. Cause I, I like to listen to other people talk above my head sometimes. Um, ATP is one of my favorite tech podcasts, and those guys are all developers. So a lot of the time they're talking in like real developer terms and about coding and about stuff I don't understand, but that above my headness gives me a better understanding of uh, Macintosh software and hardware because things just creep in, right? Like as somebody speaks about things that you only vaguely understand hearing those terms over and over reinforces it. So, so I don't know, not to say that uh, we're going to sit here and speak about everybody's head, but that uh, hopefully somebody with like related interests can find that common ground. Cause I, I know there's other people out there like us, like creative professionals is the general thing. Uh, I also think there, there is a, um, there's something in the entrepreneurial brain as also shared in somewhat of the technical brain, which is, uh, it's not like an infinite interest, but it's an interest that, that goes, uh, you don't find yourself in these places without being curious. Like I know this will not translate at all to the viewer, but we're in a room that I'm going to point to Tyler and say, there's a little thing. Look at at that. You see that up in the corner. I see it perfectly well. No, there's a little piece of paper that's up in the top right corner of my apartment. Oh, yeah, okay. There's a piece of paper. You know what it says on that? No, I don't. Your curiosity brought you here. Oh, my no. roommate put it there right. when he lived here. Yeah. But I loved that because the first time I discovered this little piece of paper that's like half, it's like if you sliced a post-it note in half and it's right in the top corner of the room. Yeah, for anybody listening, I'm about 10 feet away and I cannot read it from here. And the first time I read it, living here, yeah. I walked up to it and then got on the couch and looked at it and it was this... It, it 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 made me feel good about the fact that I was there witnessing it. Right. And 
a little, little prize for, uh, for for instance i was in new york a couple of uh no it was last november and there was like in the subways you often see all sorts of crazy shit like uh you see performers you see like opera performers and rappers or like hip hoppers or whoever right like all sorts of talent but there was one um stop that had like no joke not an exaggeration like a million post-it notes on like a whole hallway you know okay completely covered and a photo of it i think you i might have posted a photo of it i was there with my dad and there was post-it like stacks that you could grab and you could write whatever you want right and i just couldn't think and couldn't think oh man what am i gonna write and i'm a tall guy like i'm six foot five so i have this advantage that i can reach some things and i and i thought to myself uh, where am I going to put it? Even if I can stick it somewhere. And I looked up and I could reach the like beam above me that there was no post-it notes on. So I wrote on it that thing, your curiosity brought you here. And I put it above everyone instead of to the side of everyone. And it made me realize the person I was giving that gift to was not going to be me. And it was someone else that would be reminded of their curiosity and where their curiosity takes them. Mm-hmm. And Granted, it's not like they, it's not like a pot of gold. They don't get like some reward. It's only the reward of the interest itself that you are reminded that you are a thinker that thinks thoughts in this way and you are you and you have a curious mind. And I think sometimes I will, I will think through my own thoughts in conversational form just to find out what I think, but I will also seek out other intellectuals or other conversations in which like podcast form, it's like you're hanging out with a group of people who you can't interject upon. But a lot of the time when you hear something that's like, it's like when you read a book that describes thoughts that you're like, Oh my God, that's so what I think, but you can't intellectualize it. You can't put a sentence structure around it and to have it manifested or realized is a special thing. Uh, it's what I personally love about podcasts well, yeah, can we um, take a second to just talk about podcasts a little bit more? Because there's, I mean, there's a lot of things I think about them, but, uh, and like I've said, I spent a lot of time listening to them. It's my main entertainment, really. But um, you say it's like a conversation you can't interject. I was, it made me think it's also a conversation with no social obligations. It's kind of, it's kind of this funny um, anti-social element to podcasts of that, like, you can get a lot of the sort of brain triggers of like, oh, I'm socializing and I'm hanging out without any of the work, so, <laughs> you know, of, the, of, of like balancing a conversation or the thing that I think it's truly, it's starting to represent in an audio form is similar to cinema with the invention of the close-up. Uh, when the close-up made its way into movies, it's that we all in our most intimate sense want to be close up to human beings. We right. don't rarely get up close to people. So the close up was an invention that was interesting to people. Cause it's like, where did I read about that? Or did we that's talk amazing. about it before? So, yeah. That's like a really interesting idea that you don't see many people ever that close, that close. And the, the, uh, I believe it was Sam Harris who said that self-consciousness is not self-consciousness. It is in fact that you are conscious of another conscious being being conscious of you. Mm-hmm. And the non, the, 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 uh, cutoff lack of so, social repercussion, um, any of the observation of you in form of you listening to a podcast, it's that you can't get caught in a thought. Like you are allowed to be intimately involved in a conversation that right. you, they're not aware that you are, right, are right, a thing. Right, right. Yeah. It's incredible in intellectual senses, intimate senses, 
friendly senses. I know a lot of the time, especially in um, uh, panels uh, or more than one person, Mm -hmm. you truly feel like you're hanging out with them, especially on a regular, like if it's multiples. So that's huge for me. When you say panels, it makes me think about the difference of when you see uh, or listen to podcasters that traditionally do things alone, uh, like in a confined space to a live event where there's a crowd and how the energy can really shift in how they talk and like who they're performing for. Because in a moment like this, when it's just you and I, we can have this relative awareness that like um, there's just one other person that's not present listening. Whereas uh, when there's a real audience, that's where all the pressure is coming from. That's who you're performing for so much more than kind of each other. Actually, I don't. I don't think in in a conversation like this, we're performing for the ghost at the table. It's we're we're speaking to each other, and we kind of forget that. But when you've got a whole room that's you're waiting for a laugh, or you're hoping for an applause line, or, or things like that, it becomes really different. And sometimes that can either add or t- or take away from some people's podcasts. I've uh, never done a live one. I, I, I uh, I've never done. Uh, I have presented, and I, I've been a speaker multiple times in front of. Varying audiences up to about 600, I think, is the biggest that I've spoken to. Uh, I have never had a conversation on a panel, though. I've always been a presenter, a speaker, and I've always prepared. It's never been stream of consciousness. It's always been a prepared sculpting of my uh, subject matter. But also the difference between um, whether or not we were having this conversation via Skype or in this room. Right. That's a different thing. Um, we have, which um, I think can be better and worse. I, there can be advantages. It's, it's similar to like a group photo that is a group and a group composite photo in a sense. Okay. Yeah, yeah, it's right. like there's a superficiality the to it <laughs> yeah, or something, right? <laughs> yeah. And it's, well, it's sound wise. It's easier cause you're not, you don't have the same room noise. Like right now, um, I can't cut, I can't set, like I can't, um, tear this track apart as much because we can hear the reverb from each other. So like there's less editing I can do and it. Ha- it forces the final product to be more real than when we're apart. Um, like in, in the show with Cameron and cameras or whatever, since we're in different places recording in different rooms, I can change our, our timing sometimes. Like sometimes we'll talk over each other and I just shift it so that like reality you hear the TV interruptions. Re- reality and, yeah. TV. Like change the, the <laughs> yeah. like uh, oh, senses yeah. make, responses make our jokes a little funnier and just punch the whole thing up yeah 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 um so like this is an interesting thing in terms of podcasts um if I if I were to say uh what podcasts mean to me um and what they mean to my life it's it's strangely real uh, I had uh, several things that happened to me over the past like uh, several years and uh, I've dealt a decent amount with um isolation, anxiety, depression at times. And what I think has truly helped me continue with my life. There's two different things. It's been podcasts, which I, I know that sounds ridiculous to say that podcasts like are no, that I, important. I don't think that's, that, but, I've heard that from other people, I but think it's crazy. I, I, I would, I mean that when you have a sense of isolation or when you are taking a lo- lonely path, whether that be professional or you spend a lot of time d- doing whatever, like color grading or mm-hmm. something like that, photo work, editing. Uh, sometimes you need it. But the other one was uh, meditation, Vipassana meditation. And I think had I not given those two gifts to my brain, uh, I would I would be a different person. I actually started thinking about this uh, about a year or two ago about what are the give- the biggest gifts I've ever given to my brain. And I'd say podcasts are up there. There's a lot of value. Like, uh, a lot of um, empathetic uh, du- duality, or maybe not duality is the wrong word, but the fact that there are enough speakers I listen to that are so not like me 
that to hear different thoughts other than my thoughts can sometimes be the 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 perfect context mm-hmm. to hear similar thoughts but more articulate than my thoughts right. can be a gift. Well, they can also be more aggressively different than you're going to encounter when you're just speaking to friends because we're all pretty I mean, we're Canadian, so we're extremely polite and don't want to tell each other we're wrong. <laughs> but so when you're just like chatting with somebody, you're much more agreeable and if you're just it's it's the same as reading. I mean, you know, uh, part of the whole social media bubble ties into this of that you only follow people you agree with on Facebook. So you only read political articles that you already agree with. Whereas when there's a newspaper that had a maybe like a somewhat wider editorial spread, you're going to be introduced to more different ideas that maybe you're not comfortable with. So yeah, same thing as podcasts. It, it represents parts of those intimate conversations we would have, but you can't there's no concern about offending each other. So you're kind of able to get a wider expression of, uh, you know, you can't say that podcasts will like infinitely scale into our future. They might be, they might be something that, um, exists in what is wanted or needed of the bubble that we're in. We don't know. Uh, I know, for instance, uh, at least it's changing to the degree that a lot of the original podcasts I listened to that I was like, these are the podcasts. I like number one suggestions, this, that, this, that. Yeah, right. A lot of those are not the ones I listen to anymore. Yeah, right. like, the, the really weird one you mentioned this the other day, the really weird one that we both agreed on is Radiolab. So it's not okay. I listened to Radiolab, their, their latest episode. It was great. Yeah. Um, well, I don't never listen to them, but no. they were must listen every time it came out immediately. And I listened to the whole back catalog. And now you kind that's of, not the case. And, and it's allowed to shift. It's, uh, it's actually a weird expectation when, when they cover such serious con, uh, topics, uh, such big thoughts on the regular, they have an irrational pressure on themselves, right? It's very much like, uh, what this American life must be up against, you know? Right. Uh, it's, it's like any TV show. It's what Seinfeld was up against. It's how can you continue to be excellent forever, forever in a different way. Yeah. I also like, it's similar to when I started on Twitter. I remember when I first started on Twitter, I really oppressed, uh, appreciated the suggested follows that would pop up. And also when other people would suggest people that I follow. Mm-hmm. And I thought this is great. Like, Oh, there's such good streams and uh, good information. And, the very same thing. Uh, I know that Twitter is kind of a hot topic right now, just in general, uh, that it is a part of misinformation or angst or um, uh, umbridge. Umbridge. Yeah. Umbridge. You um, know? Umbre. Yeah. Umbre. <laughs> but uh, it, it's a part of that. But also, it's just changed to the degree that a lot of my original follows, about 50 of them, maybe, mm-hmm. uh, they are of the last year, the people that I'm unfollowing the most. That just mm-hmm. some, it might be a change in me, it might be a change in their content. Yeah. I don't know, but podcasts I, might dynamically When be I think changing. about the ones that I've unfollowed, it, it feels like it's more me. I mean, Radiolab, as an example, uh, I don't blame them for it because when I go back, it's still very, it's really solid content and it's great. And I, in in that case, anyway, I f- I feel like I just I don't connect to it as much, and I don't really blame them for it. I, I don't know, but but it's it's at least we can know that it's cha- it or us or something's changing. But the main thing the comment I was going to say is that podcasts I don't know will last forever, but I know they're changing, right, right. and I I know by at least um, like with Sam Harris's specifically with him commenting on reach. Uh, versus him being an accomplished and prolific, maybe not not prolific, but an accomplished author and writer. Yeah, it's that 
how much time goes into writing the book and then how, how much it costs and how far it reaches versus how, oh, yeah. what the reach is. Yeah, when he talks about the numbers, it's, it's, it's crazy. vividly yeah. different. Uh, and we live in that world. Maybe actually not for that long. Who knows? Net neutrality is a subject this week. <laughs> right, yeah. Uh, so who knows? Uh, maybe this will be like uh, pirate radio. Do you ever see that movie or yeah, hear yeah, about yeah, it? Yeah, yeah we'll, we'll be doing this from a, a boat soon. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. I think it's that's the future for sure. I think some kind of decentralized. What's been uh, nice about podcasts is that they are relatively um, robust, like that. Like they are flexible. They are federated and uh, independently run. I mean, I went through a lot of time thinking about how I'm even going to host this, uh, which I won't go. That's too inside baseball to talk about here, but. Um, but it, it's not controlled by iTunes. It's not, um, there's no gatekeeper right now, unlike YouTube. Mm-hmm. So, uh, with, you know, YouTube, they give me this crazy extended reach, but they decide when a video is successful or not. So, I mean, you know, we're going to be working on this iPhone video. The reason that the iPhone eight video did well, but not insanely well, right? Like, so that's, about a month in, it's like over 400,000 views. That's amazing f- for my channel. That's Those are the biggest numbers I've had. That's really exciting. But when I look at a lot of other, th- there are very casually made, not great iPhone uh, 8 reviews that have one or two million, you know, that, that were just sitting at a desk that um, uh, even from some people that don't have a bigger following, like it's, it, and what it really is all about is that YouTube spotted them and decided to give them and give me a nudge that some other videos just didn't get. And then that builds the snowballing effect of more and more traffic. But I love that you're referring to YouTube as like a, like a conscious like thing. It, yeah, yeah. It, like, it, uh, you well, know, there's personhood in this. The algorithm has really become, well, it's, I mean, it's a hashtag people are using. Like the algorithm has so often become this, uh, it, like personality that people talk about, about how it influences what's happening on, that's, on YouTube. That's a whole other conversation. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, oh, anyway. So yeah, I don't want to lose the point of this was that, um, then with podcasting, it's wide open, but it's very challenging to find your demographic. You know what I thought? Th- this is just occurring to me over the last maybe like six months is something I used to say that, uh, um, is now clearly becoming the case is as a creator, uh, professional creator. So both, both you and I started as, uh, well, not started, but we have a photography background, uh, video, uh, a lot of skills in photo, video, compositing, Photoshop, uh, Premiere, uh, sound, all these different things. A lot of skills. It's the skills that you get when you're interested in these different things yeah. that, especially if you're interested in both photo and video, uh, when you're just photo, you get a kind of plethora of skills as related to photo. Let's just imagine that you don't need this infinite skill set. Let's just say you're just a photographer. Mm-hmm. Um, what I started to realize was if you are selling the ability to help another company promote itself, yeah. then your company should be the most well-promoted photographically. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah. It should be. Yeah. Because yeah. you have the skills that you're selling to other people, totally, right? Yeah. And if you have like the uh, audio editing skills and the video editing skills and you are contracting and selling to other people so they can promote I, I, yeah, their company. I have the best example of this. If we, we should be the best, most well advertised. And just the end of that thought is how many people are proving that that's okay, the well, case right now. I'm going to, my perfect example is if you, if you go look at, uh, hopefully it'll be changed by the time anybody looks at it. But um, right now I have different um, profile photos on all the social networks and none of them are great. 
I mean, they're really all afterthoughts. They're just like random photos I pulled. The one on YouTube, which is my biggest platform, is five years old. And I'm very small in it, and you can't see my face. Like, it's a terrible profile photo. It should be really clear to recognize the person so that you can identify the channel with who they are. Like, I mean, maybe, maybe not. No, but that's, I get, that's I get how you. it should be optimized. It's like instantly identifiable. Um, and I'm a photographer, and I haven't, <laughs> like, I've, I've shot all these videos of myself, but I can't be bothered to take a profile photo of myself. This will be fixed. Maybe I'll even fix it before this podcast comes out, but it, it'll be improved. But, you know, it's a If it's for a no funny... other reason, like what we were saying about even uh, having conversation or listening to a podcast sometimes is just to figure out what you think. Yeah. And I often find my biggest revelations in when I'm giving advice to other people, especially when I'm teaching other people. Right. Yeah. I'll be totally. teaching other yeah, people. You have to explain something that is... And I'm like, oh my God, I should do this. It's <laughs> like trying to figure out keyboard shortcuts that you just, you physically have the muscle memory of it, but then you have to tell somebody else what it is. And you're like, wait, control, shift, X. <laughs> I often ha just have to remember what I know. So sometimes to remember it, to teach it will uh, like, I, I actually have a more or less a mantra that I've lived by for over a decade when it comes to learning, not just teaching, but the mantra is teach once, learn twice. And the, uh, essentially it just means that other people don't think like you, they don't have your history, they don't have your brain. And if you only explain to them the way you understood it, they will not understand it. You have to use different words. Therefore you learn a second time. Well, it's like that, um, experiment where people will tap out a song and then the other person will try to guess what the song is. Right. So, uh, I'll, I'll do it right now. It's like my confidence as the tapper is infinitely disproportional to your ability to guess what I tapped. And this is, this is universal. Like, even me having read that, I'm like, I totally know what I was tapping. That was so obvious. I don't know. But you, of course, don't know. No, I have right? no idea. Yeah. And, and that's, that's how it all is. Because, like, what's wrong with you? You can't access the melody that was also playing as I tapped that. It's so transparent. It's just I have that one extra piece of information that is very easy for me to forget that you, you don't have access to. And I guess, um, like, even as a, as a bridge or segue to the thing that... We're going to be doing for this iPhone video. Oh, your cat's joining us. What's your cat's name? Uh, Edgar. Oh, um, he's not a meower, so he's, <laughs> he's just kind of hitting me. be silent. But um, so the guest, <laughs> the rendering or 3D work that we're going to be doing for this video, I have had to learn this. This is my first year, more or less. I'm about 16 months into learning 3D. Kind of, uh, I guess that's unfair because I learned some 3D or two and a half D in After Effects. Mm -hmm. But what I find is the gift to anyone else. I try to describe or teach something that I would have wanted to know six months earlier or four months earlier and how little that is done um, where people try and make the effort to simplify something into the best way they understand it, given the fact that they probably had a complicated path to making it that simple, mm -hmm. is how to make it as simple as possible. And uh, I also think that is the gift that you give your brain as a teacher is by the time you hear yourself, make it as simple as it should be. That's how you're teaching your brain to know it in the future anyway. So in terms of like what, like how to even bring the unknowing audience or a person that's unknowing into something like visual effects or rendering or 3d, 
it's it's weird because we live in this weird standard right now where photorealistic, like creating a rendered image from a 3D program that looks like a photo is the standard. Mm-hmm. It's like there is a ton of, maybe not a ton, maybe seven or eight, of um, renderers mm-hmm. and different competing companies that all produce photorealistic uh, results. And it's not only the case right now that it's like that, but it's going to be ubiquitous and surrounding us in two years, three years Mm -hmm. by 2020. Absolutely. It's like in our smartphones, it's going to be whatever, right? Photorealistic rendering everywhere. But to know that a lot of people that are potentially photographers or even into video that don't really know where that's at, Mm -hmm. because I know I didn't know where it's at is staggering. So the goal just to summarize why even talk about this right now is that the goal for this iPhone 10 video is for us to create uh, seamless shots that are going to be intercut into the video for specific camera controlled reasons. There are going to be specific kind of aesthetics, but they'll be indistinguishable from the rest of the shots. So we'll have a bunch of A-roll or B-roll. I say we because you're making the video, so I get to say (laughs) we in it. I won't be doing that at all, but um, you'll have A-roll, B-roll, and then you'll have these photorealistic rendered shots. And the goal is to have it be indistinguishably um, you know, C-roll, computer roll. C- C-roll, there you go. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And the the goal is that indistinguish, uh, in, like indistinguishableness, the, the invisibleness. And the coolness is we get to think a little bit broader with what we would want to do. And a good example is that we tried to shoot another video. Right, yeah. Like when the iPhone X first came out we shot a video with a green screen app on the phone that we were going to composite the green screen out and we shot it on a gimbal and by the time we saw the footage it's like oh my god this is not gonna work way harder than we thought it was gonna be and to take all the control into the 3d program and then just do it there and have an indistinguishable like a a, a comparable photorealistic result is a pretty amazing thing so that's where we're at right now like 2017 it, it, it's at our fingertips. So how many YouTubers, how many Vimeoers, actually more Vimeoers are doing it, but how many YouTubers are going to take advantage of this? Yeah, well, I mean, I, we, I we think... We can see it and we can't, but we're on the brink of it. I think once it's going to really pick up is when it starts doing things the way that apps do them. Like, you, you see it happen with trends on Instagram where an app allows you to do a certain kind of photo filter or a good example was when Snapchat let you put your little avatars into artificial, into augmented reality space. Like you've seen this, right? Oh yeah, of course. So yeah, like you just point your camera around, the camera figures out what the space is like and then a little 3D character is standing on the physical ground and does a little dance. The hot dog guy. Yeah. And as this, once it becomes easy, people start getting really creative with it and doing really interesting things and, um, even that stuff is just starting, but, uh, with actually, well, here's a great way to segue to actually talking about the iPhone 10 is that the facial tracking stuff is going to be an amazing way to let everybody start doing really basic 3d filmmaking like that. I have been involved in different levels of visual effects for a couple of years now. And motion tracking is one thing in video that has variable amounts of ease motion tracking a video in after effects is one thing motion tracking in resolve is a completely different thing i don't know why but resolve is so much better at it Mm. and then all of a sudden you get phones that can do augmented reality how are they doing that (laughs) yeah no motion tracking well it's very frustrating (laughs) that motion tracking on my iphone is trivial i mean it's not it's not 
perfect and it's not great, but I can do it in one second without knowing Real anything. Time. And you've shown me how to do it in After Effects three or four times now, and it just keeps not sticking, and I keep doing a bad job of it. Yeah, and what's weird, though, uh, okay, this is the conversation, like, at the nerdy point, is that the tolerance and the um, the tolerance for error with an iPhone is very uh, low. It's it's that people are okay with it being really crappy compositing right. and yeah, yeah, not yeah, yeah. stuck, because yeah. it's like, oh, it's almost stuck. Visual effects. But it ju- it jumps around a lot. I mean, yeah. Yeah, the jumping around, it's like, okay, uh, I guess on the nerdy end is you have a bunch of motion tracking points that get tracked and there is a confidence of like really high contrast areas that get tracked like the corner of something and the and the camera is like, that is a corner and that yeah. corner just moved. And then there's things like it'll look at a floor and it's like, I think this is a floor and a detail on the floor. So there's tracking points that have more confidence than others and that confidence results in tolerance of the amount of error per point tracked. So in visual effects, what you do is you always take the, all the tracking points that had a really crappy time tracking that gave you that shitty error and you delete them all. So the whole scene solve or the whole, like if it's going to be a face that you're motion tracking to put sunglasses on, Mm -hmm. there's a certain amount that you want to actually track that is where the face went. And then you stick the glasses to those motion tracking points and they will look like they're on that face. But the biggest leap, the like monumental leap that everyone obviously talks about the iPhone 10 thing is the face ID. And it's that notch on the top of the iPhone that is actually not using just the camera to know what it's seeing. Wait, where is my phone here? Keep talking. It's right over there. Go grab it. So it's the notch that has infrared uh, is it infrared? Yeah, yeah. I, IR. Infrared. IR, infrared yeah. scanning at what? A hundred thousand or a million points or they've said it. I right? don't know so, the number. Yeah. They've said some kind of amount of points that flies out of the thing and it bounces off your face and it measures right now it. And I can't even see it. Amazing. And that is a completely different way to have a confidence for that device so, over what it's tracking. And that's why that is monumental. And some one of the conversations has been when it's the front facing and back facing is when AR is really going to take off. Well, here's something I've learned since we talked last is that there was, there's a bit of back and forth actually with uh, MKBHD posted his review of this phone. He pointed out that when you cover the IR sensor and you're doing an emojis, it continues to work. It keeps tracking your face. Everything is working great. So most of that tracking is happening from the RGB camera. The, the 3D dot projection is basically helping it. Um, so And it's doing it sporadically. So that's what, uh, if, so at first he mentioned this in the video and everybody's like, oh, they could have done this on the iPhone 7. Like all their phones could have this. It's just using the, the selfie camera. Um, and then Apple kind of responded to it because they were like, no, 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 no. Like we, we project a map every few seconds to do something. I have no idea how that helps them. But I mean, I imagine what it is, is that, it makes the RGB map more accurate. Hmm? It's not, there's no tracking involved in the IR. It doesn't, because there's no live watching where your face is moving. It just shoots everything out. And it's like, okay, now I, I have a 3D sense of what your face structure is. Now I'm going to communicate that with the RGB camera. Oh, here's your door. <laughs> Special delivery. Woman that's going to the apartment next to me, and she just leaned against the <laughs> okay the doorbell. Um, 
Yeah, so start wherever. Yeah, start wherever. I, I can't edit that out. Uh, oh, yeah. Okay, that's how it's working. The, <laughs> facial, the facial dragging. Oh, thank, thank mostly, you most, mostly RGB. But, like, I wonder, again, just on that technical level of where it's getting its confidence. Like, how does it uh, relay the measurement information onto an Animoji, if not continual checking, right? So mm. the RGB camera is frame by frame, and it's getting... One frame compared to another frame compared to another frame, and it's doing as much of that detail checking as possible. And then you get something like that redundant measurement of the IR uh, array, and it comes out and it says, yep, what you thought you knew, you know. Like yep. this is, you thought it was measured this, you thought that the face was doing this, you're right, or you're wrong, mm -hmm. and adapt. And uh, like one of the things, I guess, where my brain goes about redundancy, about professional redundancy, is the uh, space program. So the International Space Station, can I, I think they can have five failed launches for cargo and still be fine. Hmm. There's so many levels of redundancy right. yeah, yeah. everywhere because obviously they need it. But this is like, how can that device have that much confidence? And now mm -hmm. it's because, of course, it has even more redundancy, whereas... If you were to take that out and put it in the iPhone 7 or, or, or 8 or whatever, they just wouldn't be able to sell that feature with as much confidence for yeah, its it, accuracy. The thing is, it, it may, be, may be accurate enough to get by and be a thing that still sells the phone. Like, it, it could be, it, we don't know, basically, but... Some developers should do that, actually. Yeah, yeah. Like, we should know. Yeah, yeah totally. I'm sure, yeah, because the information... I mean, you could use any camera, really. So <laughs> it's not an Apple camera that's doing it. But, you know, so some amount of it might be holding it back for, you know, giving the iPhone X more features. But I I'm not sure it's really important either way. Like, yeah. it's it's here now. Um, but, I mean, it also is imperfect. Like, it's not, it's not amazing tracking. And I, I actually, this would be a good time to talk about a, a tweet of mine that went... It was pretty widely spread, like much more so than anything I ever tweeted. I've never had something get shared a lot like that. And you're welcome. Uh, yeah, yeah. That day. So that was the day we were shooting the iPhone 8 or no iPhone 10 unboxing. And you told me about Measure Kit, which is an app that does augmented that, reality. That I had downloaded on my iPhone 7 Plus that I thought was cool. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, you should download this because it's cool. You should see what it can do on the iPhone. Uh, you know? Well, and I should say out of all those retweets and stuff, like most of the people talking about it were afraid of it. The almost the whole response is like, great, good job, dude. Now everybody's got your facial map. This is not what's happening. Like if you if you launch everybody go download Measure Kit, launch the app, all that it's doing is putting a generic mask, like an emoji. This one just happens to be human shaped, and giving the values of the motion. So it's like That's not your face? No, not at all. It looked enough like but, your but, face. But if we launch it right now and I pointed at you, the same face just starts moving mm -hmm. on yours. And then you pointed at me. It's like the Animojis. It's just a generic face. And then you can also, in Measure Kit, switch. I'm not going to do it on, yeah. I'm not going to do it now because then I'd get distracted. But <laughs> it, uh, you can switch over to the numerical view and you can. it starts telling you it's like right eye open 0 0.2, like smile muscle number 3, 0 0.8 and it just tells you all the values of this is this is just animation you know what's weird as well when you think of the security concerns like oh yeah good job uh someone has your face print now it's like if you have even photos of you like oh yeah here's a couple of photos totally yeah. <laughs> someone has your you, you face measurements reconstructed yeah uh like really if you think no that's it. exactly what i was thinking about it's that same thing of like you can uh print uh you can 3d print a key from virtually any 
decent resolution photo at this point that will work. Really? Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Wow. So, that's a great idea. Yeah. I mean, same, <laughs> same thing's coming for, for faces. Like you're Holy not, you're, shit. you're not, like as, you could just like photograph someone's keys. Yeah. But then, you know, we, when it comes down to it, you could break someone's window and like all the security things, when you really think of it, it's a level of paranoia. Like, what are you willing to live with? Oh, who did? Knowing, there's a great, there's a great podcast episode about this, of this idea of that. Like there was a time, there's this brief moment in history when locks um, were relatively new. Uh, uh, I don't know how far into it it was, but basically locks were terrible for a long time and they could easily be picked. And then all of a sudden somebody invented a new kind of lock that was unpickable. And there was a period of time where there was such thing as perfect security. And that hasn't existed since then. Ever since then, virtually every lock is pickable mm-hmm. and it's more of a social device saying like, please don't, please don't break into my house. Yeah. Um, you're going to have to go through some effort, but you always can break into anybody's house. Um, and it's, it's kind of like that. It, it, it's going to become more and more like that with even a lot of the, the, the bio stuff, like uh, the, the, somebody did make a 3d printed mask that was able to spoof um, an iPhone 10. Um, it's not, that doesn't concern me at all. Cause you need to, at this point, you need a good scan of their face and you need to print a mask out of latex that is the same shape and then like print off photos of their, like, has anyone talked about if someone's dead? Um, so there is supposed to be, well, w- one thing is attention detection. So you, if somebody was dead, you'd have to have their eyes looking at it. I think it looks for some amount of movement as well. Cause it, it does try to detect some amount of aliveness and I have no idea what those metrics are, but um, I know it, it wants it, but attention detection is a big know, part man. of it. Have it's, you seen weekend at Bernie's? Like you can make <laughs> that shit happen. Just throw some sunglasses on and uh, <laughs> it's no, but these types of things and the legitimate cons- like security concerns, people are worried about this and it's not like you and I don't think these thoughts like, cons- like uh, of concern, like, it is unsettling how much each thing knows about you, how much is being categorized about you. You can lean into it. You can lean away from it. You know, like the, you only need 20 minutes or 30 minutes of your voice to be, to create a full voice replicant. Uh, you have all these different things. Replicant. You heard what I said, (laughs) you know, I guess if you really think about it, it's it's like a replicant. Blade Runner. (laughs) It's like, like automated, like whatever. Well, and so I, this, this, I realize it's actually a practical implication of this. I mean, most people, I think a lot of these security concerns are overblown to me. I mean, nobody's going to be targeting me or you, but where this will come into play is when, uh, say the government is targeting a phone. I mean, with the, the Las Vegas shooters phone is now found to be unlocked and apparently the, uh, NSA has sent a request to Apple to open it or something like this, right? It's like the Sam Bernardino. Yeah. It's already happened before it's happening again. And, and at some point, okay. Anyway, what my point is though, is that what a a new way that they're going to be able to bypass this with the current phones is like, if you have really great records of who the shooter was, you may be the FBI may be able to, or NSA, whoever's doing it may be able to go to that much effort to take every photo off of Facebook of a person, reconstruct a face and use that to open their phone. Um, I didn't think about that for, but that that actually probably wouldn't be that challenging. You know, um, just as a, as a nice segue to, uh, just another thought that I know you had about what can that mesh that, that 3d face measurement data really be used for like for fun. And your idea is great of, um, 
video game uh, characters that you. Oh, I'm sure to... not the only one having this idea. Right now, oh, not yeah. at all. I'd be disappointed if that were the case. <laughs> uh, that's a lot of the ideas that excite me are the fact that I don't have to do them and I get to be the benefactor totally. of them existing. But that uh, is is definitely a thing. You can imagine a second screen experience of just um, scanning your face. Uh, it loading onto EA servers or onto Steam or whatever, and mm-hmm. you get a character that looks just like you, or um, you can adapt it. You can have like an orc uh, that gets more or less built out of a likeness, yeah. you know, yeah. and you can totally see that, especially oh, like I've spent totally. a, a good amount of time in VR over the past year. And what's missing is the extension, the, the, the 3d extension or representation of yourself in VR, like having arms and a body and legs and everything. Right, right. And when that happens and it's like you're an orc or you're this or that, and then socially you will look like either you Just or Just the character whatever. of you, you know, some hints at what you really look like. Exactly. And uh, I think that is super interesting, like where that face data can go. Um, I also think just like in general, the ease of use uh, in like visual effects, creating a digital double, like there's certain ways to do this right now. Um you just touched on like the FBI's ability to like take enough photos to do that. And in visual effects, there's a, 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 a technique called photogrammetry where you take a bunch of photos from every angle yep. and that it literally takes all those photos and makes a 3d mesh of it, mm-hmm. makes a 3d model of you or whatever. It's a little bit harder to do with a person because uh, unless all of those photos get taken simultaneously, you have a dynamic movement of your face. That's hard to recreate. So like that in uh, th- those are usually called uh, light fields or like there's like an array of cameras well, that all who, shoot off at the same time. Doing, uh, I know Microsoft acquired that team that was um, doing the project where uh, you like they were just assembling open source photos like from Flickr. So their demo at first was uh, Notre Dame, Notre Dame in Paris, and they just used all the tourists' photos and they reconstructed full called, 3D uh, photosynth. That's what, well, that's what Microsoft named it. It was something else before that. But yeah, Photosynth, I don't know if it still exists, does it? The weird thing is, when that came out, it was like, this is the future. And um, it is has since not become the future. <laughs> yeah, totally. Uh, I was not, really excited about like, it. Oh, my like, God. They have a couple things that... Uh, what's weird about, actually, big tech... Um, you see Google do this and Apple, Apple, not as much. But they release something in terms of technology R and D or a product that might fail and they don't allow things to just fail. They put it somewhere else, you know, mm-hmm. like I don't know where right. Microsoft like, is going to put kind that of quiet ways that, yeah, because you also don't know what that idea did to occur to them. They might've mm-hmm. released it and said, this is a much bigger thing. Like it actually right. applies in this. Well, okay. Completely different right sense. here. Okay. Microsoft doing connect for the 360, then Apple cramming a connect into an iPhone 10 and it was funny. I think it was around the same day that the iPhone X launched that they canceled the whole Connect project. Um, That's actually really weird. Yeah. I never thought about that. Same same technology, just totally different application. And this happens a lot when Apple acquires companies and everybody kind of spec- speculates about what the purpose is and what they're going to do with it. And honestly, it's usually an application that you're not thinking of. Yeah, well, you can you can pretty confidently say that. I don't think it's as much in the sense of you or I, I don't even want to say that too confidently, but we pay attention enough and we know enough to speculate pretty astutely sometimes about what's going on. The only thing that changed how I uh, look at this over the past year is I was a presenter at a, at a festival in Calgary called Camp. And there was another guy there who was a presenter. His name's Ricardo Giraldi. And he was one of the lead designers of the HoloLens. And... um. 
like he, I think, was on a team of about 10, uh, right from its inception to its release. Mm-hmm. And I asked him uh, of what he could share, what he would be willing to share about how they do that process. How do they take on their big moonshot projects? And he said there's, uh, you know, a lot of stuff he's not willing to share, but he said the one thing that uh, is the general process of how Microsoft goes about it is that they have kind of a list of available tech and growing tech it's in like this array of technologies they look at things like the price point the speed performance uh, availability uh, the production capability like can they produce it it does it have an infrastructure built so it can be built or, or or purchased or whatever and they take a bunch of those technologies and they see what kind of technologies exist so those moonshot ideas if those moonshot ideas depend on this technology being where it's going to need to be at and this one and this one. Mm-hmm. And they have this big array of potential technologies that are just waiting for other codependent technologies to catch up. And once they're inside of roughly a five-year window, they take it on. Right. And they start actually developing the thing that they think they could develop based on the fact that they can get it to a certain price point, a confidence of how good the tech needs to be to be rele- or, uh, like accepted by the market. And it, it it was so pragmatic. Like when he described it like that, I was like, mm-hmm. of course it's like that. Mm-hmm. And then there's obviously just the nuance of the leaders and thinkers at the highest level that just, if there's not a technology that they would need, they make it, right. you know? Well, and this reminds me of something that I slightly touched on the iPhone uh, 8 video, but I just didn't have time to go into depth about is there was all this talk right ahead of the launch that um, they were trying to do behind the glass fingerprint recognition and then just at the last minute like six months before launch they realized they couldn't do it so they had to rush to cram face facial recognition either in there and this is crazy like this is not how product development works facial recognition needed to be under development for years before they could even start committing to the fact that they were going to start integrating it to the phone which was also probably one or two years before um, anything was going to be produced i mean I think a clear signal of when they knew facial recognition was going to be the future was when they added uh, wake to or raise to wake because that gesture is at the center of how, how you unlock your phone like that is just picking it up and looking at it like that. Mm-hmm. That and is, that was, that was only a couple of generations ago. I think it was, right? two, I think it was two seven? years. Yeah. Uh, uh, no, seven's only one generation because the naming convention. Oh yeah, that's right. So I think it was like six ass or something like that. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, um, yeah, and you can see that that habit developing in the user as well. Like wh- whether or not it's realistic to to know that the user base is going to adopt it. You know, uh, I remember uh, I didn't read this article, and I hate bringing up things I haven't read in that classic like clickbait kind of way. But uh, it might even be an open tab still. There was a a Wired I think article that uh, Sundar Punchai, uh, Google CEO, uh, yeah. had talked about, and the headline of it was. Something along the lines of like, are people, how much change are people comfortable with, Mm -hmm. you know, and they have to take that into consideration with the ability to just full throttle change. And we might be at some sort of weird threshold with the comfort of change, especially when you measure it up to politically and when you measure it up to uh, uh, certain lifestyle changes, but then tech, it's all about adoption. You can take the best possible thing ever. And if people don't like it or aren't comfortable with it or whatever, it just doesn't succeed. It goes to the tech graveyard and mm-hmm. that's kind of weird. Yeah, well, uh, which is why there was this 
dual release of the iPhone 8 and iPhone 10, which I think a lot of people read is very strange, but totally makes sense to me that uh, I think most people are not going to be comfortable with the 10 when they first pick it up. Like they'll think it looks beautiful. They'll get why it's nice, but there is a bit of discomfort and like a a moment of learning to, to get through it. And I, I've been saying that for people that don't really enjoy learning something new about technology, just get the eight because it'll just stress you out. Like you will be frustrated trying to learn this stuff and uh, you know, it, you're, you're going to get most, they put most of the most important, most exciting features into the eight. So you're not giving up a lot by using the 10. Yeah. And the, I guess it's, it's weird. You know, the hyper adoptive person, the, like the, the, you mean me, <laughs> I, I kind of mean you there's like even more extreme people yeah, that are yeah. like, um, uh, like people specifically, we know a decent amount of people that work at camera stores or in Calgary, the camera store. And, mm-hmm. uh, there are certain people that just are obsessed with the every version of everything. Right. And that type of person is just inclined to say, okay, product X. Well, it's funny <laughs> yeah. product. It's pronounced 10. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, hypothetical product, uh, challenge me, you know, how are you going to tell me to deal with your UI or your button placement or whatever? And some, some of the more, it, it's weird. Like I, I actually just today was looking at um, Autodesk uh, who makes Maya and their big 3D program. Uh, sorry, company. They do a ton of stuff. Robotics company too. But they released this 3D mouse that's like kind of like the, you know, the Surface uh, Pro, yep. the like desktop Surface. Microsoft. That, ba- that button thing that like goes on the screen and turns. Right, right. It's kind of like that, but it's like on the table. So you'd use a regular mouse with your right hand and this other 3D mouse with your left Whoa. hand. And it's neat. But it's like a 500 bucks or something. And then a good amount of people that have even tested it are like, I don't even think this is faster. You know, like it's just different. Yeah. And when you think of like even the mouse, like I, I, on my like crazy fast computer, that's like as fancy in so many ways as I could possibly make it. I have like a $10 mouse mm-hmm. because it's like, it's, it's great. I might've been preconditioned right. to be that person. Maybe all my habits are leading up to this place, but yeah, some things like you could try to redefine them and and be challenged, but a lot of it is like I don't know. I I like it this way, and I think the iPhone the ten so far seems by your account and mm-hmm. others, you know, it seems to be like the humps not that big. Like the learning curve isn't even that big. And once it is, and you're on the other side of it, you're like, for, I love it here. For a certain kind of person, it's not. For me, it's very much not. What's for, the biggest challenge? Like, um, like what is the thing? That, well, for me, that people center. get. One thing is uh, that you actually, you and you do end up putting your password in a lot more often. Um, like it, face ID works really well, but there are just reasons that th- there's a lot more circumstances that face ID doesn't work for the, for a reason that makes sense. You can understand you're like, Oh, I get why it didn't work right there, but you still have to enter your password and there's a delay before it too. So, I mean, one of the the examples in my life is like, uh, so my wife just always has my uh, iPhone password. It's fine, right? Like I just, we, she had, but, but she had a thumbprint on my previous phone. So she could always just unlock it without thinking about it. And now. Uh, you can't have multiple faces. Can you? you can't have multiple faces and you have to wait. There's a delay before it checks for the face. So even if you know the password, you can't just punch it in right away. Or you can't press a button to bring up the password to punch it in right away. Yeah, you have to like just sit for a moment. Okay, now I can enter my password. Like, you know, what, what, what I think is hilarious, uh, when I got my 7 Plus, uh, 
especially when it came out, I got the 256 model and the Plus. So it was at that time the best possible phone that Apple made. I got it right at release. And I remember being frustrated by how fast the <laughs> Right, yeah, you had to the relearn thumbprint. how to yeah, start using no. the power button more. And... No, uh, that is not the point. The oh. point is how fast it would read my thumbprint. So yeah. if I just wanted to check the time, yeah, yeah. I would go to wake up the phone with my thumb yeah. and it would go into the OS no, and I'd means. be like, I just wanted so to see So you had to learn to start waking it up with the, oh, yeah, the yeah, sign yeah. button. Okay. So Instead, I, right? I thought you were wrong, but you were right. But like that, that I remember just with clearly the CPU, the GPU, all the processing, all of the sensors, everything being so like flagship, like unbelievable. Yeah. It was like, I was surprised at how efficient it really was. And I was even annoyed at how efficient it was. Mm-hmm. And having that option uh, to be able to wake to your passcode as well, that, like you're saying, very good. Uh, that slight annoyance. Like, if anything, the new tech should always be somewhat like an escalator. What are you showing? I'm showing you the delay. Oh, okay. So it's like, yeah. So, okay, it's like swipe, passcode. Oh, yeah. So it's, it's like a couple two seconds. seconds. Yeah. Wow. You have to wait that every time. So it, it's it's like an escalator should always just reduce down to stairs. So Right, yeah. You I, love, know, I love that saying. And the uh, what Face ID should do is be everything that it was before and more. Yeah, and right. it should be some sort of comfort that you already had that it's like, if you don't like this, just use this. I'm sure they're going to tweak that. I can I, just based on using it, I'm like, they're going to enough people have complained about it. I, th- I think it's going to be. I don't know, man. Like, does that thing have a headphone jack? Are they, are they gone? <laughs> yeah, that's not coming back. Yeah, I don't um, think so. And one other thing I wanted to touch on that I'm not, I'm probably just not going to include it in the review because I basically, because I don't think it's that interesting. I actually replaced my phone. This is a brand new iPhone 10. I went into the store and there's a manufacturing defect. Um, So I think it's interesting enough to, but I think it takes a moment to talk about and because YouTube videos don't go for very long. um, I think I'd rather just do it here, but glass was mounted unevenly so that on one side there was a sharp edge and all the rest was smooth. Um, right now I've, I actually, <laughs> if you feel it, I left the plastic on from when I bought it. Cause I want it to be perfect for when I record it. Uh, so you're not feeling the, you're not yeah. feeling the real phone. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just leaving. <laughs> I've left the plastic on for like a, three days now. Yeah, It really does look awesome though. Hey, doesn't it? Oh yeah. It looks awesome. Like the, the screen, the OLED screen, it's bizarrely, uh, almost doesn't even look like a screen. You know, it looks so vividly like print, like glowing print. Yeah, no, that's great. You know? Very bizarre. But the, yeah, so the point is there was a clear defect in it. And they said, they said only one other had come back. That's why I don't think it's that interesting. I can, t- it's or, clearly of course not. they would say that. No, I know. It's not that common. Like, no, I don't know. Nobody else has mentioned it. Like, but it's a thing to know. Like when well, you go buy one of these, take a look, like feel the sides of your phone. And if one of the sides is sharp, they will exchange you know, it. This isn't the same as like bend gate, yeah, you know? know, I mean, like where people are like, oh, it's this huge problem. Like, and of honestly, course. I could have lived with it. It's okay i couldn't because i paid a lot for it and i wanted to be perfect but i think a lot of people would have it would go unnoticed like it wasn't a big deal but it was there like you could feel like a little cutting edge uh it was very cutting edge phone oh it's terrible um, you know like but there's not much of an adoption there's not a huge hill uh to get over but in a way um like you know you said we want to see what the expensive line looks like, where the good and best ideas are. You know, the reason why they released the eight and the 10 at the same time is, yeah, the average person is just going to want the eight. Mm-hmm. 
Although I didn't uh, talk with a friend the other day that just got an eight and not an eight plus, And they were pissed to find out that they didn't have the portrait features on it. Oh yeah. Right. Because that's pretty ambiguous. I've had two people I've talked to that one got the eight yeah, and one was about to get the eight. That was like, I'm totally not getting the plus right. size. No, no, I can't do the plus. I'm like, well, you know, it doesn't have portrait, like portrait lighting, yeah. portrait settings. Like what? Okay. Can I say that? For anybody in that position, do not buy it for the portrait settings. Like I totally, I, I, I've, I don't think it's worth. I it. love shooting on portrait mode. I mean, it's not. It's it's kind of cool, but like Great. I use it very rarely. I, I the the photos I've taken with it get used not that often. Like it, it turned out not to be like a game changer. Yeah, it's not or a game like changer. Dependent. For me. Yeah, I'm not dependent on it. I am also different from a lot of people because I shoot with full frame DSLRs. So like I have access to background blur all the time. Like I can create Boko with real cameras that I'm shooting with every, I pick up that camera every day. So like it's not as special to me. And I know there's a lot of people that this is the only camera that can have Boko in it. So they want, they want it. So I know like when I have ever taught photography ever, uh, most of the time when you're teaching photography, you're usually teaching it to a person that's just got their first DSLR because it's the time where you actually have to learn something about photography. It's not just automatic. And most of the time when people get a DSLR, they get a, a like an entry-level DSLR with a kit lens. So they get like an 18 to 55. Yeah. That kit lens usually has a variable aperture on it. And that variable aperture usually doesn't result in that much depth of field. Yeah. So my very first suggestion after class one is go buy a 50 mil 1.8 lens. Totally. Spend right bucks. away. Yeah. Put it on black and white shoot wide open and you'll feel like a fine artist. Like you, you yeah, will for, make for, art. for like two years. And what's funny is I, I, I gotta admit it's still, I don't know. Oh, totally. Yeah, I still like it's it. It's still beautiful, but not for everything, obviously, but the, what this is doing to the average person's confidence in photo mm-hmm. taking must be phenomenal. Yeah. must be like, Oh my God, look at that. And I think I'm not going to dive super deep into in the real view. So real review. So we'll talk about a little bit here is that, um, Google actually does the, the pixel two does a better job of, um, isolation. So I, I think that the software blur in Apple is more realistic. Uh, like it, it has more of a organic lens feel, but the, and, and also it's be, it seems to have a lot more depth data. Like it, it understands the iPhone does over the, the iPhone does. Yeah. Have you seen but, what depth data looks like out of the Pixel 2? I haven't. Not not in that same way. I don't remember where I'm pulling this from. Um, I there's there's a great article that Google wrote about how they're doing depth data, mm. and it's much more uh, uh, simple. There's basically like three levels of depth: like foreground, subject, and background. Uh, whereas on the iPhone, in apps like Fo- Focus, 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 you can F O C O S. You can see all the gradations of depth. Great. Did um, you see uh, on Twitter that um, oh, iPhone reviewer or Apple reviewer? Uh, Serenity, Serenity Caldwell? Yeah, yeah, Serenity yeah Caldwell. she did an awesome job of that. The side-by-side? Side? Yeah, yeah. I'm going to do That's some of what awesome. she did. I'm going to I'm gonna like reference that and, and do a bit of that in the review. Yeah, so like super the smart way to difference do of what the focus depth data looks like coming out of the yeah. iPhone 10 versus. And it's not huge. It's subtle, but it's specific. Well, but like, so this it is has what's a interesting. nose and it has cheeks and it, it has a That was an example face. of the difference between the front facing and rear facing camera. Um, and for anybody that hasn't seen it yet, it, it, it gives way more depth, like the front to back has more levels, but what it doesn't do any better is actually um, distinguish the edges better. That, and that's the thing that the Pixel 2 
is superior at. It find like finds hair edges very well. You know it's what I want to really see? But I, wanna, wait, wait, I, just, uh, <laughs> I didn't finish my original idea, so I don't want to get too far away from it. Is that those lack the lack of different depth points also means that there's there's a fakeness to the Google that is a little more post production y because it's like there's the subject and then the background is blurry. Like there's two levels. Yeah, um, and I, I was about to say the the thing I would love to see. Okay. For anyone who hasn't seen what the depth data looks like out of Focus, uh, it's really specific, right? Like it looks like so cool. a photo that is that has depth. <laughs> like yeah, it's well, like well, you watch, see the watch photo the review from the to side. find out. Yeah. yeah anyway, well, well, it's we'll have enough reference and um, or like just hearing this, you can look it up. But what I want to see is like if you took a selfie and you were like a kilometer away from the mountains, and imagine what that depth data would look like if it was actually relatively <laughs> yeah, similar, like how how right. deep that that three D look would be. But uh, and I wonder if it'll ever get anywhere like that for measurement purposes or professional purposes or like for instance, you're saying the the way that it sees like in the in the photo you just showed me, you're like standing with like a big Christmas tree behind you, and then there's stuff way behind the Christmas tree. And in a way, it just blankets everything that's like from your shoulders back yeah. with the same treatment. And it's kind of like that for the most part in professional DSLRs with real bokeh. But at the same time, it's kind of not. Like, I wonder. It'll do a better. So the, I don't want to reference what I showed you too much because I'm not going to post it in show notes. Or anything. But uh, what what, you, what it's doing, the, the if the background is all one level, it it very much has that effect, but it does do a pretty decent job of like, if there are several levels right behind you, it falls off pretty well, like surprisingly well, better than I would have expected. But still that's the, the whole issue with portrait mode and why I don't, I'm not really into it is that separation needs work. It's just not, it's not great yet. And in the portrait lighting modes, it's sometimes very bad. Yeah. Especially the stage lighting. Yeah. And, um, it's kind of, like when you first when we first got into uh, photography and you're thinking of compositing, the challenge was always, for the most part, the challenge is always hair. It's not heads yeah. or shoulders. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, hair. and still is. Yeah, and like with edge refinement and uh, things like that in Photoshop, it's gotten considerably better. Um, After Effects is phenomenal at it. Uh, well, I guess it's the same tech. You got a teal. Uh, I was running into this problem this morning of doing it in Photoshop. I was doing isol- like hair isolation this morning, and you have to show me how to do it quickly. Yeah, it's, it's, oh it's, god, for the most part, really simple. Um, but they, they, with their, uh, refine edge upgrade with CC, yeah. what I two versions ago, I, it's worse. I still, op- you can oh, it's change, worse. you can change it back to the original. Okay. There's Cause like I was struggling hard, with it. I'm like, I don't get this. I can't make you remember it. like, yeah, yeah. Two, you showed, you showed me before two versions ago. It was like, a, it's a simpler in- interface and yeah. they added like, uh, it's also really slow. I, on my laptop, I don't have a dedicated GPU and it's so slow. Um, like I don't even launch the window a lot of the time. So I'm like, oh, this is basically going to crash. Yeah. Um, so uh, that was the challenge in compositing and remains to be, even though it's getting simpler. And this is essentially compositing in a sense where it's putting an effect in one place yeah, and not yeah. in another yeah, place. So it's creating a mask or it's creating separation. And the challenge truly is hair still. It's beards and, and hair. Which uh, is a form of hair. Beards and hair. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, like if it there's so many circumstances that have to do with even in photographic terms, the quality of the, of the just straight up data. Like, you know, cameras always love more light 
like the more light there is, the more confident in everything it does it that it is. Mm-hmm. And this has to be true in terms of um I know whenever I've done the portrait settings in low light or anywhere that's like moderate light. Like for instance, we're in my apartment right now and it's like lit, but it's it's not. Photographically yeah, it's speaking, AF. it's it's not at all. What? <laughs> <laughs> lit AF. So uh if you took a photo in here, you might think, or the average person might think, um, who's not a photographer would think, yeah, this is, there's light in here. Yeah. Right, photographer, right, you're right. like, this is, you know, uh, it's at four 50th of a second, 3200 ISO or something. Right. Take a photo. Like it's. Just keep talking. <laughs> keep talking. <laughs> uh, so the, the amount of light that it has to use and the fact that, that as a average consumer and as an average iPhone user, you just, without knowing that light matters, you just assume that photos just should all look the same. And this has been a common thing that's happened with iPhone photography and low light in, in general, where you'll get entry-level people starting to take photos and they'll say, why do my photos look worse at night or in dark circumstances? Why is yeah. it blurry or why is it noisy? And you're like, well, welcome to the world. You know, like <laughs> yeah. that's not how digital photos you know, why, work. Why can't your eyes see well at night? I, well, that's actually a bad example because eyes are pretty damn good at it. Well, they're, they're better, but I mean, but it's getting to the point where cameras are gradually are almost as good. You take the A7Rs and stuff like that. That's an S, yeah. Yeah, uh, no, is, aren't they both? The, the, the S is the like crazy low light. The, yeah. R, the R is very good, and then the S is even the new one, the three. The, the like yeah, the A7R, A7R three. three is the same sensor as the A7R two. Oh. They didn't update the sensor. But um, this is this is even a, a weird thing with what people assume to be, and this is actually something that Apple is definitely up against: is the the general ignorance of what the tech is is doing. And how impressive it is when the tech does it correctly. So uh, photographically speaking, this was the challenge and remains to be the challenge when you do like an event, you know, Uh, you go in and you have to create through variable lit circumstances, this room, this room with a light here, this thing, that you have to create continuity as a professional as although every room was perfect. And that's what phones have to do with their settings. Like I, I actually don't know, is portrait out of beta now? Uh, I mean, it doesn't say beta on it. So, but, you no, know, I, I, I don't it, think not, so. But like you, you, it's what's weird is from their end, the fact that they, they need, they need the camera to see. It's like augmented reality too. You know, if it's dark enough, augmented reality stops working like considerably. Oh, really fast. Yeah. Like, like crazy. And yeah, for actually, good reason. I mean, that's just something for you to know too, is augmented reality also operates at a faster frame rate. So it needs more light than a normal photo. It can't slow down to a lower exposure. Like on, on, on the regular camera, it can both boost the ISO and slow down the shutter. Although the, the aperture is fixed um, in AR, it has to keep the shutter, I think, at like one twenty fifth or something. At because it's recording at sixty frames per second. Or do it's, you know? Do you know what the native ISO is on iPhones? Like how it goes where they weirdly sit? low. No, I don't know what native. Like is. I know it. I know it goes low, but like you know, does it and can it sit comfortably at like eight hundred or a thousand or? Um, can it go up to like? Let me launch an app real quick. I have almost no I idea. Can, I can see exactly what it's able to do. So in this room, in this very dark room, it's at twelve fifty. But it will go down to. So if we were in bright sunlight, it goes down to thirty-four. Oh my god, it's crazy. Yeah, that's like, crazy. I mean, for anybody that doesn't know, reference like most digital cameras go to a hundred, and sometimes they'll have an extended down to fifty mode. But I wonder why thirty. I've never 30, seen. 
What's yes, weird is it's a weird number. But the weird the weird thing knowing how stops work yeah. is that why thirty four and not twenty five? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Because the next one it goes fifty, hundred, hundred fifty. Yeah. And the top. Let's see what, the, let's in, see what it maxes out at. Like two thousand. Okay. But like, it's okay. But if it's yeah, okay. But I wonder when that's going to squeeze its way into iPhones, right? What's that? Um, like that high ceiling of ISO, right? Like yeah. where, like with the A seven R's and stuff, they're going up to like what two two hundred fifty thousand or something, you know? Yeah. But uh, again, mean, that if those sensors don't get bigger, it's going to be tough. Which or or bigger, like yeah. you know, you wonder with the with the way that Google's doing its dance. Yeah, yeah you just wonder HDR whether or not thing. you you have to work with physics. Like in the way that physics was like, no, I'll only do it this way. And Google was like, actually, just give me some data and I'll figure it out <laughs> on the software. Yeah, I'll just do this work later. Yeah. yeah, it's really weird with the Google, with the Pixel 2, you take the photo and there's always this processing afterwards. You have to wait for the photos to develop, basically. Because really? Google's like, okay, we're not quite done with this yet. Give us a second, we'll make it better. You know, I downloaded an app actually a couple of years ago that was like that. It was it was like a legitimate develop app. The, the app allowed you to take, I think, 24 photos and then it didn't work for a day while those photos uh, developed. Yeah. And then when you got them back, it was like that, you know, getting photos from the lab yeah. or getting them back. It's like that pleasant surprise. Yeah. Plus limits. You know, right. I, I actually, I think I should re-download that. That was a great app. I wonder what the hell happened to it. <laughs> I don't even remember what it was called. Hipstamatic did something like that where you would have like a role. I don't know. I'm not gonna... It's crazy though. Just as a note, do you remember best cam? By yeah. Jeff Chase yeah, 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 and yeah. Hip- that was like so early. And Hipstamatic, they both had just like, from their perspective, I'm sure, after Instagram turned into Instagram, they were yeah. like, oh man. You know what though? Insta- a lot of the reason I was using Instagram instead of those at first, like I, I had both. I loved Hipstamatic. I mean, I still I still like it. I don't use it, but I like you it. You have it? No. Oh. But I still like it. <laughs> like the thought of it? Yeah, yeah. But um, like, okay, I like so the both thought of, of Winamp. Both of them were like pretty good. Uh, or they were fine. They were interesting at the time. But Instagram's filtering, I thought, was much better. I just thought the way it dealt with colors was nicer. Of course. That was like on the on the legitimate end of why Instagram succeeded is because the adoption rate w- went through the roof because everyone felt like a professional because yeah. it was treated so well. Yeah. Like, And that sensibility, it's similar to VSCO, right? It's all about sensibility. It's not just ability. It's uh, sensibility. That it's, it's design choices with the limited amount of options they give you and that you can trust those options. And like what, what Instagram did, it's actually quite weird because they all had different abilities. Hipstamatic actually was the original and they played too strongly on borders and film emulation. But if you remember, uh, early Instagram did too. Yeah. yeah, Remember they they forced borders. Yeah. They took off the ability to do that. So like, it's weird though, thinking of, what could have been and what what is why things get adopted and why others don't this is actually a decent you know more or less segue or not segue but it relates to what we were talking about about those the the features that'll make you quit the things that people are willing to do mm-hmm. why do some things succeed and some other others don't but yeah from hipstamac and, and best camp's perspective they really they really missed something big there yeah i mean they well they were they it. were part i'm sure they did well at time at, but at the time but they're not instagram <laughs> yeah and but it, also, but I mean, so the, the social network is why instagram really took, like we were the the filters were a great hook but you know best cam and uh hipstamatic just didn't have that social best, thing best figured cam. out they didn't have it figured out i think best cam was social though they were doing social stuff but it wasn't not i mean hipster. instagram just totally 
they nailed it. Like the that interface of the the waterfall is just. Yeah. Have you noticed? Is anything different experientially on the iPhone 10? Uh, are you noticing anything as it relates to common apps like this? There was some. There's a lot of bugs in Instagram on the first day. It was like oh, first day the, before update. Yeah, I think I, I don't know if they're all gone right now, but like it was. Um, if I put uh, filters on my videos, it would crash. Uh, also, processing videos in VSCO would crash. Um, there's a bunch. There's a bunch of little just like developer bugs. The iPhone 10 puts a lot of pressure on developers. Like mm-hmm. developers have so much work to do to kind of catch up with this. But get on it, developers. Yeah, they will. But um, but that's okay. I mean, I I feel like it's worth it. Also, um, I don't know. Like, I'll, I'll maybe just touch on a few more. Th- like, I guess we can we can kind of wrap up soon. But I'll touch on a few more just like specific things about. The phone too is like the notch what is very was so hateable at the beginning. Like what I do you think now. Get to it. Oh yeah, I don't notice. I mean I don't mind. Oh you don't? so it, no. Did you see that okay. uh that um wallpaper that's uh the Bert and Ernie? Bert. Yeah. <laughs> <That's great. laughs> so good. It's like notch gone. So what uh the one place that Okay uh, okay, my my brain's getting sad because I'm excited about this thing I hadn't mentioned to you yet. Uh, one thing that's annoying is that a few YouTubers were doing their iPhone 10 reviews in widescreen, which was like interesting. It's like, oh, this is a wide format phone. So Austin Evans and, uh, Jonathan Morales, who are two of the big ones did theirs both in like pretty, in pretty that, ultra wide in that aspect ratio. No, know, not, you know? not in this, just a, some kind of, con- I don't remember what it was in okay. a common, very wide. Yeah. So the thing is it was wider than the phone. So there was actually black bars on the top and bottom. You watch it on the iPhone 10. Um, and the way the YouTube player worked is now I had lost my ability to zoom in or out, which when it's 16 by nine, you can either like punch in and get the full screen with a notch interrupting your video, or you can zoom out and it's just letterbox on the sides. You, you can't at all, but in, the, in that ultra wide, no, it just stays edge to edge. So you always have the notch. That's kind of bizarre. I'm noticing that from a UX uh, perspective, I'm just, blown away at how you can almost zoom into everything lately like right yeah it's really weird actually when you're trying it you're like why i can't move i'm stuck so okay but what i figured out this is the exciting part what we're gonna do is we're gonna make the video in i i like stared at my phone from like wait a minute i know what the aspect ratio is like the correct aspect ratio is from the edge of the notch to the equal distance on the other side so that if you flip the phone it's that that's as close to full screen as you can get. And if you hold that up to like an iPhone plus, it is a bit wider. Like you are getting a widescreen experience and that ratio is exactly two to one. Oh, which what? is that like a standard? Like two, two to one. Yeah. Here I'll, I'll show Well, I shouldn't show you cause we can't podcast that. I'll show you after some, some example photos I have, but yeah. So well, the conventional aspect ratios in film, for instance, two, three, one, two, four, one, uh, 16, 16, nine, obviously. And then, well, the, but is two, one, two, one's not a thing. No, no. Four, three is a yeah. thing. So Wes Anderson styles, or I guess not Wes Anderson, but, uh, grand Budapest. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, TV. Mm, mm, right. Yeah. I guess four, three old, old TV. Yeah. Um, anyway, yeah. But well, two, one, two, yeah, one. That becomes the optimal ratio just for this phone. Mm. So, so that's what we'll do. Yeah. We'll publish yeah, in yeah, that. Yeah. yeah. That's interesting, my friend. It's going to be cool. Uh, that is interesting. We're paving new. Yeah, and uh, I think I'm the first one to, well, I'm the first one I know of to, to do it. So. To notice it? I remember that, that reminds me, I was the first one, I think, to notice, at least, you know, it's a stupid thing to say, you know, in the world. Yeah. But I was the I first one to, to notice early Facebook. This was about four years into Facebook. There was a UI glitch that 
your profile picture would limit its size based on width, but not height. Okay. So you could have a profile picture that was like a five to one ratio. Right. That was like a full body shot. And I did a bunch of them because also at the time, I don't know if Facebook is still like this, but it had a blue banner that ran right along the top, like behind your profile picture before yeah. cover photos. So I used to take profile pictures and composite that exact blue line and exactly the, the way it would, you know, fall onto the UI. And it looked like I was standing there like in front of the, the, the UI. But the biggest thing is, again, it would limit the size of the displayed profile picture by the width of it and not the height. And um, like I, at the time, like this, you f- you find this out and you're excited as hell. Like, you're I, I got it. I got it. I figured it out. Okay. I, I broke down and I showed you. So now we're going to have to describe it. Well, you don't have to describe it. The point is, is that there is the width of the notch on each side and then you get like the widest possible image compared to that is <laughs> 16 by nine. Anyway, let's yeah. We'll no, say that, that you watch the video and you're, you'll get it. Yeah, that is uh, that's crazy. But it watch does. The video. I mean, it is a problem. Like that, the, the ultra wide is like a bad experience. It's not nice when it forces you into widescreen. Interesting. Well, yeah. we'll play around with that. More to come. Um, and you know, like what else? Uh, I think we wrap this up. We stop talking. Because like a lot of our conversations, we could keep on talking. Totally. We have to choose to limit it. We have to choose to be done <laughs> with it. And we're running out of time. I have to edit a batch of photos tonight, too. And so uh, we have to get to it. Um, but I look, I look forward to doing what we're going to do with the rendering and what we're going to do with this video. And um, I hope that whoever is going to listen to this and who's ever going to pay attention is looking forward to it. As, <laughs> Literally as well. no one. I mean, at t- today. All the, we'll see. all the listens will come in five yeah. years and this is super successful. Yeah, yeah. People are like, well, <laughs> the show started. We'll see. We'll see. But uh, yeah, thanks. I wait, appreciate wait, wait. it. Can I get one more thought before we okay. hang up? Because like, I, so what do you, I just want to know, I'm going to say, I, just, I don't have a specific question for it. I just want to describe my situation and you to like bounce back on me what you think. But so uh, I'm doing the show and I just like named, like I just put my name on it because I want it to be a bit of a catch all. So I can just do a, sh- I, can, I can just release a show about anything and nobody can say like, I was expecting you to talk about Macintosh and you're not. Um, but then there's like the, the like, wh- I don't know if I, like, I don't really subscribe to shows that are just like the, 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 the one guy's name show that is about think of any? unpredictable things. Uh, I started listening to Harmontown recently. Uh, kind of like that. Dan Harmon's branded around his name. Yeah. Harmon Quest. Harman yeah, Harman Town, Quest. Yeah. Which is probably partly how I ended up like feeling a little more. I, I was okay using my name before, but I, I got a little more comfortable after watching Harmon Quest, listening to Harmon Town. Like, yeah, it's a thing. Like, well, as long as you're legitimately amazing like Dan Harmon is. Yeah, but what if I'm not? Then what? <laughs> well, I, I know in terms of and also, you and you doing this, I've always liked Stallman.com. Like I've always thought that worked and okay. is is rad. I also think just generally the name is cool. It, there are good words and not good words, you know, in terms of the way they just feel and sound in terms of well, design and stuff. Stallman's it works. Uh, and I think um, the generalness, not a lot of people are pulling off the generalness. Like Tim Ferriss, for instance, right now, he's like one of the most successful. Tim yeah. Ferriss podcast, general. Yeah. It's like all the things he's well, interested uh, in. Joe, right? Joe Rogan. Joe Rogan. Huge. Whoever, right? Yeah. And and it's broadly well, scoped. Well, also Tim Harris. Yeah, and they talk more or less about anything inside their interest. Yeah. They they also 
it's weird because it's curated by the trust that what you you know what you're getting when you when you get there to some degree. Yeah. It's like I don't want to relate it to like McDonald's or something, but like you know how <laughs> Yeah, it's a predictable you know, experience in a way. Yeah, you know how McDonald's in, in Tokyo is like McDonald's in Calgary, you know, you know what you're getting. Uh even if the menu's different, but like I know that when you get to uh Sam Harris's or Tim Ferris's or Joe Rogan's or uh Dan Carlin, you know, for instance, yeah. uh you at least trust that the way the conversation, whatever it's going to be about, will go through that you person's brain know, and be curated yeah. to some degree. You know the a bit. And I dig it. Um, you know, if I didn't, if I wouldn't listen to your podcast, it would then all, it would pretty much mean I don't want to be friends with you because I, I have the choice to <laughs> right. talk yeah, to yeah, you yeah. in real life, yeah. which. That that when we know how many interesting conversations we generally have, and that we bounce our interests around in that in that uh, uh, n- not diverse way, but uh, dynamic way, you know, where the the world is interesting. A lot of these things are interesting. I I have this general saying I say about learning, uh, not the teach once, learn twice, but it's that you should know everything about something and something about everything, and that is a good way to spend your life with a brain is just not putting limits on it at the same time as sometimes putting a limit on it, like focusing on this or that or this, or that, but the world is awesome. Tech is awesome. Stuff. Sometimes like stuff is awesome. Stu- stuff, man. Alternate name for the show. <laughs> stuff is awesome. Yeah. Um, but I dig it so far. I don't have any, like I listened to the first episode, the, the episode about you, you, which, ju- you just listened to the th- first episode right now. Cause that was episode zero. So. Oh yeah. Okay. Okay. The episode zero. But the funny thing is in episode zero, even having known you for like what, 10 plus years or however long it's been is I didn't know a lot about that, about you oh, that cool. you said in there. And right. I thought this is great. It's like, I'm getting to know you too. Um, so, uh, I, I loved being, uh, I, I loved being on several of uh, camera cameras or whatever, uh, podcast and the fact that I'm here for the in, in, inauguration and the inception of this is is awesome. I'm stoked to just keep the conversations flowing and making awesome awesome stuff. So awesome! I'm so glad you're here. Well, where can pe- where can people find you? Um, as of right now, uh, Twitter. Let's a good say place to follow you, if I, I if I'm honest, I'm trying to I'm trying to have the conversation <laughs> with myself to get off of Twitter and Facebook. Oh, okay, to become not unfindable, but I am wondering where the payoff is in so they should come ring to in these things in real life i also am trying to spend a little bit more time on my actual relationships instead of potential superficial relationships like in terms of just the vanity metric of more conversations mm-hmm. and more people following or connecting so as of right now being here and you know like on twitter i'm on twitter and instagram and my you know if you search my name it just comes up chris dowsett that uh, comes up in multiple, you know, forms, but, um, you can come pay attention. I'm just not the most active right now. And I might be in a decreasing activity mode. All right. right I won't now. force anybody to follow you, but, uh, no, thanks for being here. I mean, they can, they can find you right here. Yeah. And, uh, thanks. And, uh, I'll talk to you later, man. Bye. The podcast is over now. <laughs>